Okay, here's the gist. I'm a gay guy who's been living in New York City for the past three decades. I got shit to talk about. I also have awesome friends who also have a lot of shit to talk about. That's what this podcast is about. Way off the record. People that you never hear from, that you need to hear from. Because trust me, girl, you need this fabulous in your life. Hey, everybody. Thanks for joining us. Today, our guest is Allison Gill, a.k.a. A.G., the creator of Muller She Wrote and The Daily Beans. Allison is a former high-ranking government employee, a PhD in health administration, a writer, and a stand-up comic. She's also a, a Webby Award winner that continues to have a powerful voice in today's media. Let's get started. All right, here we go. Right. Welcome, Allison Gill. How are you today? I'm good. How are you? I haven't actually seen your face since... <laughs> In Brooklyn. <laughs> Since Bell House in Brooklyn. Yeah, let's tell let's tell everybody how we met. Um, so I started following Malashiro pretty early on, and I don't even know how I heard about it. Um, but I was instantly drawn to it and you know, women's media of, you know, for mass consumption and what you guys talked about, and very quickly became a devotee, you know. And then when you guys were coming around, like doing the tour and you did a, a gig at the Bell House in Brooklyn, which is an amazing venue, by the way. And I have to say, I didn't realize there was gonna be an open bar. <laughs> so I was like pounding down bourbons. And by the time, so when I actually met you, met you, um, the show ended and um, Andrea Chalupa and I were sitting on the stage. I just went up to her because I, you know, I'm a big fan of uh, Gaslit Nation as well. So we were talking, but then afterwards, everyone gathered in the in the lobby of the place, which is this beautiful building. And that's where I got to talk to Jordan and Jalisa and you, and it was just fantastic. And yeah, so that's the last time um, that we've seen each other face to face, sort of, even though it's on Zoom. <laughs> yeah. What was, it, what was it like touring? It must have been kind of really powerful, I imagine. Yeah, it did have a, a pretty big impact on us. And and I think Brooklyn was one of our first shows. I think we started mm. up in the Northeast with uh, DC and Philly and then hit Brooklyn shortly thereafter. And it it was kind of came as a, a surprise. I mean, the Bell House is one of the premier venues mm -hmm. in, in the country. And I absolutely love that venue. And um, it, it's just so beautiful and, and yeah we you know we were just doing a podcast out of our kitchen out of my kitchen yeah, yeah. you know and you it's hard to gauge I mean other than like download numbers it's it's hard mm -hmm. to get the, like the palpable feeling of an audience until you're actually standing in front of one uh, because right. otherwise it's just the three of us talking into microphones in my kitchen like on a weekend like haha right, right. Here we so, are just talking to each other. And so when, when we went on tour, I think we did like 13 or 14 cities that, that year. Mm -hmm. um, and then we had to stop because of uh, COVID. But, mm. you know, it's, <clears throat> it was really cathartic to, to actually be in front of people uh, and, and to yeah. see how many people were listening. And it sort of, it sort of takes you by surprise. Like, you know, all these folks. And I remember saying on stage a few times during that tour, like, is this what y'all are like when I'm in my kitchen? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 
and uh it and that was they got everything they got all of the references that you guys had made previous you know on whatever episode and stuff and they were like locked in like immediately that must feel like a rock star it it, it did and and <laughs> you know i was a comedian for nine years leading up to that doing mm -hmm. smaller venues than that and it would have been like my dream to tour uh and hit the hit the venues that we hit as a as a comedian life doesn't always work out the way you plan it but um right. it, it was amazing so that's one of the things i wanted to talk to you about well, well two things actually you know to get a little bit more into the details about how it started and you know doing it in your kitchen and meeting jaleesa and jordan having this idea you had this idea so that's one thing and the second prong is how how did being a stand-up or are you still doing stand-up i sh should ask well not because of, because of covid no oh okay okay how did that inform your taking on something like creating this podcast? I mean, even though it was like, you know, on the radio, so to speak, a uh, podcast, but then doing the live shows and it must've informed how you took on that challenge. Cause I imagine again, doing the live shows is very different than doing it in your, in your kitchen. Yeah, and it, it made sense um, to, to, to go into how it started. Um, I was working for the federal government, uh, Department of Veterans Affairs, pretty high up, that was GS-14, which to give you an idea, if do you, you remember Lisa Page, right? Oh, of, yeah. Of the Page and Strzok, Peter Strzok text fame. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, she was a GS-14 uh, in, oh. in federal government, and, and that's what my position was as well. Mm -hmm. And it was about four months or so after three or four months after uh, Mueller had been appointed as special counsel mm -hmm. and MSNBC was airing an old documentary from 2012, I think 2013 called right. all, all the president's men revisited. Right, right. And it was all the MSNBC talking heads, uh, Brian Williams, Lawrence O'Donnell, Rachel Maddow was a large part of that talking about the Watergate scandal. And I think that they, that they were re-airing it uh, after all this time because of the parallels right. between, oh, we have a special counsel, we're investigating this, we're investigating that. And there were just a lot of parallels between uh, Watergate and what we now call stupid Watergate. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> stupid Nixon. Yep, which is what um, <laughs> early on, it was it was a laughable thing, you know, it only yeah. till it wasn't until, I think this week that a lot of people really understood the gravity uh, uh, of what we we had gotten ourselves into. I mean, obviously, Andrea Chalupa uh, knew. <laughs> you know, she has Jesus. been uh, screaming. Her and, her and Sarah Kenziar have been right on every single point, and they were called just like you, I think, to a degree, extremists and you know hysterical. Which I fucking hate that word because it's so misogynistic. Uh, yeah. You've been right all along. Mm -hmm. yeah, they were a little more on the nose than, than we were, uh, at, you know, because I, for example, took Chuck Rosenberg at his word when he said Barr wouldn't would isn't the worst decision for right. Right. a lot of us did. And uh, because, you know, I have no specific um, remembrance or acknowledgement or professional expertise to form an opinion about Bill Barr. Uh, other mm -hmm. than a couple of items that were in the news, um, but Chuck Rosenberg did, and 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 I was like, okay, maybe. And and I remember, uh, you know, texting with uh, Andrea and Sarah. They're like, no, no, he's terrible. He's the worst. Yeah, yeah. Like, 
I was like, well, let's see what happens. And then I, I remember, I think it was at Brooklyn, I, you know, when, when I had, a, had Andrea Chulipa there with us mm-hmm. as a panelist being like, you were right. Uh, you called it out. You told me that, uh, yeah. that yeah. my, my forgiveness of uh, Bill Barr was off the mark. Um, yeah, Iron Contra and that whole thing. And oh, Jesus. Uh, so I'm watching this documentary about Watergate from MSNBC, and I'm thinking to myself, God, you know, I bet in 30 years, 20, 30 years, they're going to be doing documentaries on the Mueller investigation and mm-hmm. the Trump era. And I wanted to be a part of that. I wanted yeah. to, um, I, the historic significance of it right. was sinking in. And I, I wanted to, to be a part of that somehow. And I was like, well, I'm not a journalist and I don't, I don't have a degree from Columbia and I'm not a Rhodes Scholar. How can I do this? And as a mm-hmm. comedian, the first thing that pops into your head is, uh, I just start a podcast because all comedians start podcasts, right? Right, right. So um, I said, well, I want it to be, uh, I want to do, there is no podcast in this space about the Mueller investigation. Right, right. Uh, I want to start it and I want it to be from a woman's perspective and I want there to be diverse voices on the panel. Um, and I, I because, of, you know, I have, I'm privileged nine ways to Sunday and I'm also older. I'm I'm on the older side of well I'm like smack dab in the middle of Gen X right. That's kind of like what what like when I first started listening to you guys, I would get all of your references. Maybe Jordan or Jaleesa didn't. I'm like yes, I feel I feel I feel heard. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I see you. Yeah. Um, so it was important for me to to do that, but also but it was also very important for me for me to do it from a woman's perspective because I think women have a different concept of justice. Um, mm. it, yeah. it, it, there's a bit of compassion in it rather than uh, vigilante type images. Mm-hmm. Justice herself is a woman, right. uh, identifies as a woman. So it was very important to me to do that. And so we, I said, okay. And then that week, the first indictments dropped mm. uh, <clears throat> on Manafort and Gates. And I said, well, this is it. We have to so I, within a day, I, I set up a little studio in my kitchen because mm-hmm. I'm formerly a musician and a comedian. So I have a, some sound equipment, bought some other sound equipment. Um, I want to talk to you about your music later, but yeah. And, and set it up and we recorded our first episode. I remember I had index cards, like uh, <laughs> notes on them, yeah. um, you know, and was just reading the what what had happened. It was a weekly it was a weekly podcast, and I'd be like, mm-hmm. "Here's what happened Monday. Here's what happened Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday," and then we had these segments where we would say, "You know, these are just just the facts that are being reported," and dun, then dun. and then we would go into <laughs> speculation and theory and more uh, uh, you know curatorial type journalism, mm-hmm. and you know we are definitely coming at it from the left. Yeah. Uh, but I, I wanted there to be specific. I wanted to separate out what what was being reported in the media, cite my sources for the reporting in the media, be it mm-hmm. just facts based, and then separate out my speculation, which comes from my own perspective, <laughs> bias and, and things like that. And so uh, it we just started, and I remember the first show we released and uh, we were looking at our downloads that first week and we had 80 downloads and we were all so overjoyed with that (laughs) and thinking, oh my gosh, because most, you know, most comedians start a podcast, you get like 10 
12 listeners, right? handful of listeners, a couple dozen listeners. And we're like, we got 80. Now at this point, let me ask, did you have, um, cause I use Captivate for this podcast. You know, you have to park them somewhere and they do analytics and stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, did you find like a similar, you, you must have found a similar service to like put your episodes out, right? Yeah, we started with Podbean. Right, okay. And then within, <clears throat> within six months, um, you know, we went from 80, those 80 downloads to 150,000 per episode. <laughs> and the, the, the Podbean mm. bandwidth couldn't handle it. So we had to switch over to Libsyn. Okay. Uh, and then we were there for a while until a network picked us up. Uh, okay. uh, uh, Starburns Audio. Uh, picked us right. up and they use i think they use megaphone um and, and they're mostly women-based I, I believe the, the... starburns no no they're like the rick and morty uh dan Harmon, Sklar oh, okay. uh, nice. it's hard to find women-based podcast networks the, the entire podcasting industry sort of has like six dudes that run it you know right right <laughs> and we were you know we were trying to do uh, find a network that way or start our own network and um, and then I think the, uh, all women network came out called Arios and oh, okay. uh, we were in talks with them, but then I think we were bought by a different, uh, a different group. Um, but you know, it all sort of blew up so fast and then it wasn't in my hands anymore. Right. But right. we, we tried to maintain, uh, and I think we did a very successful job at maintaining our, our, uh, diversity and the staff that I had, um, mm -hmm. uh, being, uh, women run and right. uh, so on and so forth. But that's how it started. And then, you know, I think, what was the second part of your question? Like, um, God, how it's how it started, <laughs> how it's going. I um, think, how, I think, I, I guess, well, having heard what you said, um, I'm going to pivot a little bit. And that must have been so overwhelming, like to go from 80 to 150,000 downloads, like, within the span of what, six months, nine months? Well, you learn like, really quickly your responsibility. Right, right. Um, and my, I, I was learning and we getting, we were getting a bunch of feedback and I always wanted to incorporate the feedback into, into what I was doing. And so the, you know, a lot of language changed. There was a lot of lessons about, <clears throat> um, about that going forward and you know, I just, I recall it all being a, a constant work in progress. Right. Um, uh, and then we started doing these bonus episodes for like, midweek episodes mm -hmm. or um, because, you know, there's like, we had had a paid subscribership where you could like pay a dollar a month and you would get ad free. You wouldn't right. have to listen to the ads. Right. Um, and then that, as the Mueller investigation wound down and we started doing that midweek episode turned into a daily episode. And that's how the, the Daily Beans came. Uh, <laughs> tell our viewers that haven't heard or seen the show, what beans, how that, that whole etymology came about. Sure. I was looking for <laughs> Early on, when we started blowing up, I was looking for a, a catchphrase, not not like a not like get her done or something, but because mm -hmm. so, Matto, who is a hero of mine, would always oh, say, watch this space, you know, and, right, and right. someone else had put a pin in it, you know, and I was like, right. hmm, I need something like that um, because we're going to be revisiting a lot of these stories, mm -hmm. and 
I tested out a few different things and uh, I felt like I felt like Saru on Discovery trying to test out, <laughs> the, you know, engage, let's fly or, you know, whatever. Right, right. And I, nothing was hitting and I, I went to the hive mind. I went to social media, like, what are you suggesting? I couldn't, I, nothing was really grabbing me. And then I remembered a friend of mine, Dallas McCall. I was going to say your friend. Yeah. Who's a comedian. And way back in the day, he had an old bit that he would do about, uh, it was around the time the blue collar comedy tour was blowing up. Right. Mm-hmm. And uh, he, one of his bits as a comedian was all I need is a catchphrase and then I'll be famous. <laughs> he would try out these catchphrases and they were like just ridiculous like uh one of them was is that medium salsa uh and and things like that and one of them was put some beans on it and uh i i called him up and i said hey do you still do the catchphrase bit do you still do the put the beans on it thing and he's like nah and i was like can i have that And he's like, yeah, 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 sure. Okay. Like he like, it didn't make any sense. Right, like, right. The, the joke was that it was stupid. <laughs> you know, like, and I was like, right. it feels right. And he's like, all right. So that was because of the speculation that we do and the predictions that we, you know, make, that was it. It was like, I, it's like betting. Like I bet right, right. beans on it. And then <laughs> Shortly after that, we, you know, when we were nominated for the Webby, um, Webby, yes. Webby Awards infamously uh, allow your acceptance speech to have five words. Whoa. And I was like, well, perfect. Some beans. No way. Was that your acceptance speech? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. And everyone oh, was like, shit. okay. <laughs> and, um, oh my God, I love it. Because, yeah, we went right after like... <clears throat> Who's Charlie Sheen? Martin Sheen. We went like right after Martin Sheen or something. Or oh, Kirk Douglas. Somebody, somebody a little bigger than us. <laughs> right. I had to give their five wow. word speech and we get up and we just go, put some beans on it. And everyone was like, okay. You know? oh, no. <laughs> right. Cause right. Oh, that's hilarious. But you won in your category. Yeah. We did. We beat, we beat um, Slate, Trumpcast. <sighs> we beat Washington Post. We beat The Daily, Holy New York shit. Times. And we beat Rachel Maddow's Bagman. Oh my God! Yeah, holy shit, that's and amazing. Blew my mind. I was like, "What?" You know. All uh, right, I want. I want to. I want to pivot a little bit. Um, what? Because I think one of the things I wanted to talk to you about was your work of the Veterans uh, Administration, um, Veterans Affairs, um, and the whole impact of the investigation into your podcast Mm -hmm. because i know that you were very you're very clear about in the early days even of Mueller, she wrote of of saying that you worked for the federal government and so you can't give your full name because your name at the time was ag Mm -hmm. your initials um walk me through that whole nightmare well as soon as so we started the podcast in late 2017 and when 2018 rolled around we started getting all the, the downloads and I was like, uh-oh. Because mm, um, mm. because in, in early 2017, uh, we had gotten a memo from the White House, all, all of us, all, all of the federal employees had gotten a memo from the White House saying, hey, the Hatch Act 
is a thing and we're modifying the Hatch Act. I'm doing an executive order to modify the Hatch Act. And what the Hatch Act used to say was you can't promote or fundraise for anyone running for public office or you can't oppose or support uh, anyone running for public office. Uh, And they, they modified it to say you can't oppose Trump specifically and by name. Um, and that also they put a bunch of social media restrictions in. You can't tweet badly about this president. You can't post anything. Obviously during your work hours, you're not supposed to do that anyway. But even afterwards, uh, you can't retweet or like any fundraising um, uh, tweets and you can't, uh, you can't say anything bad about Trump. Not, not anyone who's running for office because he was at the time he filed to run again the day he was inaugurated right right specifically by name he was very adamant about that i was like did it say everybody except kellyanne conway (laughs) yeah the end of it like right jesus christ and so when it started to get big i started to get worried like uh, because I, I know I'm allowed to have a podcast. Um, and I, you know, like you said, I didn't use my name, but I just wanted to make sure that nothing I was doing because my, you know, at the time when we were getting bigger, the Twitter account for the podcast was in the hands of other people. And so oh. I, you know, I, I hired a lawyer to advise me on a, a, prof, a professional, specifically an expert at the hat in the hatch act and federal mm-hmm. government employees. Mm-hmm. who advised me uh, to what to do, what not to do. I, I sent an email out to my staff saying, don't tweet during these hours from our account, blah, blah, blah. Um, and I, you know, I made sure to be very careful about that. And then in um, 2019, <clears throat> in early 2019, when, mm-hmm. and this was the height of the podcast, this is when we were getting, you know, a couple million downloads a month. And, and right around then, and right around my talking about the same time Bill Barr um, mm-hmm. improperly redacted the Mueller report and, mm-hmm. and botched the release and lied and mischaracterized the findings. And I was very adamant. I was talking about that quite a bit. Um, right around that time, I got a message from my supervisor that my job was moving across the country. Right, right. And I could either move or I would be fired. Now they already knew I wouldn't move across the country because months earlier at the end of 2018, my supervisor was retiring and my supervisor contacted me he, and he works in DC. I work mm-hmm. in San Diego. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's, there's two of me in the country doing what I do. And they are, st- what I do is I'm the liaison to the Department of Defense for TRICARE. And there are two TRICARE offices in the country. One's in San Diego, one's in DC. And so and, and, have, sorry, what is TRICARE? TRICARE is the, the healthcare benefit for uh, retired service members and their families. Okay, and then okay. Service members who don't live near a military base. Okay. And, and since the VA is a network provider for TRICARE, mm-hmm. uh, I was in charge of coordinating all that billing, making sure that the bills were paid from the DOD to the Department of Veterans Affairs and stuff like that. And then working on... Uh, interagency health affairs, which was to work with the Department of Defense to to be a steward of the taxpayer dollar. So we weren't shelling out a bunch of money sending veterans and active duty service members and their families to private doctors, which cost three times as much and the care is substandard. Right. Uh, we were working together to see if we could do that health care uh, at a fraction of the cost to the taxpayers with better quality care. Mm-hmm. That was my job. And there are two TRICARE offices in the country, one in San Diego 
and one in, in DC. And yeah. I'm the West region liaison right. and I have an East region liaison. And so when they came to me and said, Definitely. yeah, we're moving your job as the West region TRICARE liaison to, D to DC. And when my supervisor retired, they actually asked me, he, he had sent me an email and said, would you be interested in my job? Right, right, that's what I would think. The director uh, here in, in DC, and I said I can't move. You know, my my mother is aging, and she's out here on the West Coast, and and so they knew I wouldn't move. Mm -hmm. And so when they said, you know, the eight was April third, mm -hmm. uh, April third, twenty nineteen, they said you move or you're fired. And I immediately took twelve weeks off mm -hmm. um, because that was very. Um, that was hard for that felt like a betrayal to me. Right. I am a veteran with PTSD and I've been betrayed by government agencies a few times in the past. And so right. it, was, it was very triggering. Right. And the 12 weeks I took <clears throat> off were 12 weeks I earned in leave. I had over 240 hours of, of leave saved up. Um, and I took the, took that leave. And when I returned, uh, I was supposed to report to DC on August 6th. Um, but I had already signed a letter saying I wasn't going to move to so fire me, but they hadn't fired me yet. Mm. And on August 6th, when I came back, <clears throat> uh, there, my new supervisor set up, the one who took the job that I was offered, set up a call with me. And uh, I thought it was going to be a welcome back. Here's what you missed. Let me get you up to speed call. But the call opened up with this is, an, this is a fact-finding investigation. Uh, and... I'm going to ask you questions and you have to answer them. And I asked for, to have my lawyer present. Right. And they said, no, you don't get a lawyer on this call. And at that point, they started- Is that legal? No, no. Jesus Christ. And at that point, they started interrogating me about <laughs> the podcast and about the podcast. And I asked again for a lawyer and they said, no, you don't get one. And... Um, it was also that day that the Washington Post reported that Mick Mulvaney, who was at the time the chief of staff, the White House, had given a speech and made remarks to a group of donors saying, hey, we found out, we found a trick to get rid of government employees we don't like, because it's really hard to fire a government employee. But we figured out if you move their job across country, they'll quit or we can fire them. So I wanted to ask you, that's exactly what I wanted to ask you is like, was this a Trump specific sort of policy or had this existed before, like making people move or firing them? Um, it was, it's pretty new. I mean, it, there, it, it was a loophole that they found um, at the OPM, the Office mm. of Personnel Management. Mm -hmm. uh, and, Jeez. you know, so I asked for, I asked for telework because I wasn't in DC, so I couldn't report to DC. Mm -hmm. And, they denied my telework, saying that it was imperative that I be face-to-face -face in the office in San Diego. That's part of my job. And it's imperative to your job that you're in San Diego. And I'm like, then why did you move my job to DC if, it, <laughs> if it's right, imperative right. that I be in the office in San Diego? And so my lawyer, I stepped back and let my lawyers respond to all that. Right. Um, and I, I'm still going through litigation for that. That was oh, shit, really? August of 2019. But I was ultimately <clears throat> removed from my position finally in March of, of 2020. And <sighs> I've been trying to get my severance and, you know, my t retirement TSP. Oh, all that's and, locked up. Oh, damn. Um, and uh, they're, they're fighting that. Uh, so that is, and 
what's interesting <clears throat> is they couldn't remove me for cause. My lawyers who advised me on the Hatch Act did a very good job. They couldn't find that I had broken any rules or any policy, which is hard to do when you work for the government. <laughs> it's hard <laughs> right. to write some rule because there's not Especially now. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so they actually removed me. Uh, they they decided that because of my uh, PTSD, I was medically unfit to serve. What? Yeah. So they removed me for being medically unfit this past March. Oh my God. I didn't. Wow. I'm hugging you right now. That's fucked up. That's so. Jesus. Um, can, I tell you, can I tell you something though? Um, please, please. It freed me up to be able to fundraise for, for Kamala and Biden. Oh, nice. Good. And then again for Ossoff and Warnock. Thank God for and, Ossoff and Warnock. And we won. We won them both. And I maintained my integrity. I did everything right. I was removed wrongfully. Um, right. And to me, it, and that was my career. I was there for over 11 years. And I, I went to school uh, to get my doctorate in health administration because that was going to be my career. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, coping with the sadness of losing that career, uh, helping veterans and helping active duty service members and their families get access to, to health care. Mm-hmm is was hard um but looking back on it now where we sit now Mm -hmm. it was it was worth it i did i think i feel like i did the right thing so too and and you know fingers crossed you know a new administration comes up and maybe it can be looked at hopefully it's still being looked at so it should be a matter of like okay let's prioritize the kinds of things that we need to take care of right now yeah, I would uh, definitely rather have the Biden administration, Department of Veterans Affairs, <laughs> deciding my case yeah. than, than the Trump administration. Um, so I just want to, I want to talk briefly about what happened on Wednesday. I, I you know, I, I want to, I want mostly to keep this podcast about you and how this, how everything that's happened, how, you know, who you are, where you came from. Um, uh, Melissa wrote how that all came about. We've talked about that, but I also feel like we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about what happened on Wednesday. Um, talking, about, <clears throat> talking about what happened on Wednesday is talking about me. Right, uh, right, right. Talking about all of us uh, because as a veteran and as a, a patriot and- um, An some, actual patriot. Somebody who loves our country and the capital and and I've been I've been several times you know mm-hmm. I worked at DC and um, it was really hard to watch um, what happened uh, mm-hmm. and then and and as as more stories are coming out about what the Department of Defense and the Pentagon did not do right right uh, and how that was possibly coordinated with the White House. Um, is and how it was set in place months ago mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that that's what really freaks me out you know like this was totally coordinated it was planned and there's this new video did you see i don't know if you've seen this new video that that was released today that i saw it on twitter and it was like all of these fucking insurrectionists 
like filing into this huge hallway and the cops along the periphery just standing there mm -hmm. as they all with their Confederate flags and Camp Auschwitz shirts and whatever and paramilitary gear all just walking straight fucking into the Capitol. Like, as you say, there's a lot coming out now, you know, and one of the things that freaks me out also is it seems to have been, luckily they're too stupid, you know, to plan anything in this administration. Um, but the general idea seems to me was to knock out the top three in succession to the president, mm -hmm. right? VP, Pelosi, Grassley. Mm -hmm. Like that was the actual plan, but it wasn't articulated properly, I guess. So they just like, President Trump told us to go to, to, to Washington and then to storm the Capitol. And then there was like, now what do we do? Well, it seems like there were two kinds of insurrectionists. There were the, mm -hmm. hey, we're just here because Trump. And then there were <laughs> right. former military, paramilitary, tactical gear uh, right. guys who, and I, I'm really interested to see if this has anything to do with Eric Prince or if it, or exactly. the, the Blackwater recent pardoning of the four Blackwater murderers. Right. right. Um, but and I have to say too, the only thing I think that hurt me more than watching that happen and watching some of the police take selfies with mm -hmm. with these folks, these these terrorists, I think the only thing that hurt me more this year, or I should say in 2020 than that, was the the treatment of peaceful Black Lives Matter protesters. Exactly. Not especially at Lafayette Square, where that where that had a lot of um, uh, coverage. But right. across the country, right? And um, you know, we're learning now that a lot of people from the Seattle Police Department were there storming the Capitol. Mm. <clears throat> um, you know, and and everyone's like, "How could this? How would they just let him in? How could this happen?" Well, right. It was coordinated. Um, right. And I feel like my head is going to explode if one more one more journalist says, "How are they not prepared?" It's like, dude. You know, I'm some dude in New York City and I read the news and it's so clearly coordinated. And well, there, are keep... now, there are now memos um, that right. came out Monday uh, before the attack on the Capitol that show the Pentagon putting restrictions on the amount of number of police, the ammunition they could have, oh. air support they could have, how they were allowed to interact with uh, protesters they were told you 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 aren't allowed to touch them um <clears throat> and jesus i didn't know that and and if you want any changes in this mayor bowser you have to get the express written consent of the acting secretary of defense christopher miller who was just recently installed at right. the pentagon by trump in the number right. one three and four spots actually and kosh patel right. Right. in there too who was a former nunez aide and nunez just got the medal of honor so it's right. all very it seems obvious to me, um, we don't have that smoking gun, so to speak, yet document right. that shows that there was coordination between the White House and the Pentagon to ignore, but that it also explains the pushback that, uh, that President Biden was talking about, um, that you know we aren't getting, a, we're getting pushback for transition with the Pentagon. It was all orchestrated to allow these seditionists to attack the Capitol 
um, without National Guard response. Right. Right. And I do think that the Capitol Police were, uh, were they, they knew it was happening, but they, <clears throat> they weren't prepared to stop it because they were purposefully not given the tools to do so. Right. Right. A, a, a police, a, a Capitol Police officer has died as a result, and um, the the video of the of the officer getting crushed in the door. I don't know if you've seen that one yet. It's very uh, graphic. I don't think I have. But um, there were police officers letting them in too, uh, and and right, so, right. in some instances they they had to because they were just completely outnumbered before the cavalry arrived. <clears throat> and in other instances, it was waving them in, and or I remember one officer not letting a member of the press in and and she's arguing saying i'm the press i'm the press and she's showing the press badge mm -hmm. and he's like no you can't just walk in you can't just go in and meanwhile there's a lines files of of these seditionists going right through and past them and he wouldn't let her by so it's there and and they had plans right they had right the plans of the, the maps of, of the underground, underground tunnels and shit and the, the capital that they needed to go to, that was provided by somebody mm -hmm. with knowledge of that. I wanted to ask you, um, um, Justice Thomas's wife. Jenny Thomas, yeah. Jenny Thomas, like, I don't know if it's been confirmed, but there's reporting that she funded something like 70 buses to go into Washington on this day. Mm-hmm. Like, has that been confirmed? Do we know? I haven't seen a confirmation of that. Um, the only thing I've seen is a confirmation of her reporting of the support that she had for, right. for the event. Right. Um, and <sighs> this current Department of Justice has said they are not going to, pers per, um, they're not going to go forward with investigations into incitement of violence <clears throat> against Trump or Rudy or Trump Jr. But Merrick Garland, when he accepted his nomination uh, this week uh, mm -hmm. for attorney general, said that he would, and there would be a thorough investigation. Oh, great, great. Jesus. Imagine where we'd be. I mean, as bad as, as it is, imagine if um, Asaf and Warnock weren't elected. How yeah, imagine if Trump was. Imagine if Trump Right, was. well, right. Oh. All right, I want to I wanna talk. I want to talk, I want to bring it lighter. <laughs> we've, had, we've had quite a time of it. So talk to me about, uh, so on the Daily Beans, which is, um, as you said, evolved over the course of several years doing Mueller, she wrote um, into a daily podcast. By the way, how are you able to do that? Like every day for like an hour, you have this show daily beans and you have amazing guests how was neil katyal by the way oh he's great he's fantastic he's lovely. i love him um quarantine confessions hmm. i love this i love <laughs> can you share one or two of your favorite quarantine confessions with our audience <laughs> recently um <clears throat> we had somebody write in who is in charge of taking um, school kids out to help clean up their local creek. Mm. And they pick up garbage and, and plastics and, 
and whatever, you know, cigarette butts and they, they clean up. And, and then the adults at the end of it always have the, the, the trifecta or the Holy Trinity, the three weirdest things oh. that they found that day. And one of the young girls, probably nine or 10 found, uh, is this a rated PG show? Oh no, hello. Oh, yeah. all right. Found no, you can doll. swear, you can swear and talk about anything you want here. Found a giant double-ended dildo. <laughs> and she's waving it around. Wait, in a creek? It, yeah, uh, creek side, yeah. How does that happen? That's an interesting prequel that we don't <laughs> know. She's waving it around saying, I found a vibrator, I found a vibrator. And all these kids are laughing and, and the adult, the guy like <clears throat> runs up and he grabs it. <laughs> and she's like, I found a vibrator. And just, he immediately said, it's not a vibrator, it's a dildo. And then realizing he just taught these nine-year-olds. Oh word. my God, it's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and trying to keep them, to, you know, from not talking about it and, uh, and just putting and she and he like opens up this plastic bag and he's like here put it in here and, and she just drops it in it thud it hits the ground <laughs> and uh and he's just like doesn't even know what to do and as they're walking back to the to the bus whatever that you know they're all like we found a dildo we found oh, no. like stop stop so this is like a ceremony that they do at the end of the year or something and so they you know that the, the mm. So that was one of the the holy trinity of things that they found that day. This person who who wrote in this confession was like, I, I've been struggling with whether or not to tell this story because my whole job that day was to stop talking about the dildo and get everyone to <laughs> not talk about it. Um, and so I don't know if I want to amplify it. So we we read this story, Dana and I, Dana um, Dana Goldberg, Dana Goldberg, co-host on the on the Daily Bean could not stop laughing. I couldn't even get my sign off out. Um, I couldn't even say my sign off line or, or you know, the, that was the beans at the end. I was laughing so hard. And That's I was awesome. Like, it because it's so <laughs> and then we got a bunch of emails uh, because oh. we have, even though our tagline is news with swearing mm -hmm. uh, and we do swear quite a bit. Um, yeah. Uh, because, you know, I watch Matto and I'm like, she wants to say fuck right now so badly. And oh, right. Right. I want to I want to do that for her, and uh, <laughs> even though that we we have a lot of listeners who listen with their younger kids, like 10, 11, 12, 13. We have a mm -hmm. lot of a lot of the, a lot of listeners in that age range, and they they all wrote in. They're like, "Thanks, Ag and Dana. Now I have to explain <laughs> to my fourteen year old Girl Scout what a difference is between a vibrator and a dildo." Oh my god. <laughs> And that's why we do the that's why we do the good news and confessions at the end of the show, so that right. if you just want right. the news, it's all up front. Um, right, right. Yeah. That's amazing. So that one, um, will, but that one will live in infamy. I think I'm actually going to submit it to the Webbies as a, as an episode. Just to, I think so. Just to be like, because for the Webbies, you can either have you know you can submit to different categories: best podcast, best host, mm -hmm. and they have a, a best episode. And I'm like, I think, and a best segment. I'm like, I'm going to do that. That's, nice, nice. Oh, that's awesome. That's uh, um, for, our, for our news program. <laughs> um, let me see. I think. Um, oh, I want to talk to you about your music because okay. I didn't know about this until I started 
like re researching you for this podcast, you have a beautiful voice and you're a singer songwriter. Um, I want to, in the show notes, put where people can hear this. Well, so there's an album out on Spotify. I think there I, is. Okay. I released it 15 years ago. Um, it's under is, my, it, is it Profit Flower or? Yep, that's it. Profit, P-R-O-P-H-E-T. Um, it's definitely not a P-R-O-F-I-T flower. I don't make any money off that record. <laughs> but I think I think Spotify said no, 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 no. <laughs> like nine dollars every year or something. All right, I'm um, gonna put that link in the show notes. Um, that, um, yeah, I, I released that album. I did all the, I wrote all of the. Well, one there's one cover song on there, but I wrote all the rest of them and and did all the vocals and instrumentation. I the only thing I didn't do is play the drums. I can't play the drums. Mm. Um, or I've never tried, at least. Um, right. But that, you know, that's doing music is what led me to doing comedy, uh, which is what led me to, to doing, to reading the news. So. <laughs> You're a Renaissance woman. What can I say? <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> I just, uh, but, you know, you'd ask me like how, how it, how it sort of informed my tour uh, with the Muller she wrote and yeah. being comfortable being on stage it just made sense after we, you know, we, we were blowing up and uh, creative artist, CAA, creative Art, artist agency contacted us. They're like, do you want to go on tour? And we got a manager. Awesome. And I was like, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, I want to go on tour. And they're like, great. We got you at triple door. We got you at the, you know, the bell house. We got you Lincoln hall. We got you at the miracle theater parkway. And I'm like, these are all theaters that I would have died to play as a comic. Right. Right. Um, and, uh, so we, we went out on the road. I miss it. I miss touring. When do you, so one of the things I have on here is, um, what are your thoughts about, you know, when performers specifically are going to be able to, you know, get back on the road or, or Broadway or theaters in general, um, given the fact that, thank God, again, we have a new administration coming um, with hopefully a much better, sounder, you know, vaccine distribution system. Mm -hmm. um, I'm hearing like fall of 2021. Um, I don't know. It really depends. It depends. I'm I am a hundred percent um, confident in uh, President Biden's vaccine distribution plan. Yeah. The, what I'm not confident in is whether enough people will take the vaccine because of anti-vaxxing sentiments and conspiracy right. theories like this this pharmacist in Wisconsin who purposefully and intentionally spoiled 500 doses of the vaccine right. because it alters your DNA or people think it's, you're going to get chipped microchip right. Right. as they tweet from their tracking device uh, about being tracked. And uh, so in order to get herd immunity, we need 80% of the people to take this vaccine. And I don't think that they're going to. So, but the good news is I think for us, for performers, for podcasters, for people in the theater and the opera and people in the arts, mm -hmm. we're all going to take the vaccine. Right. right. And so, you know, I think once there's a sense that anyone who would go to see uh, a live podcast, mm -hmm. uh, and the people who 
who are putting it on and the staff have all been vaccinated. Right. It's a little bit of a safer endeavor. The problem is getting to the venue on, on a plane with, uh, you know, people who might be traveling to the Capitol to storm it. Right. Vaccines are funded by the deep state and George Soros and Bill Gates wants to microchip you and alter your DNA so that, you know, it's right. And Hugo Chavez is, you know, of course, (laughs) of course, Um, unreal. I was on Twitter um, last night when, you know, when Trump got finally kicked off of Twitter and I'm just scrolling through and I follow Kirstie Alley because I she's a fucking batch of crazy mess but i love her and i had a like a little brief she came after me after i came after her some bullshit and so i still like reach out to her every now and then you know not dm but just regular twitter and her and scott bayo and all these fucking kevin d-listers are like I've lost 30,000 followers in the last hour. What's going on? You know, liberal tears. Uh, and so I responded and I said, you have 1.5 million followers right now. So what's going on, dude? Like, and they're all like, it's kind of hilarious and terrifying at the same time, which kind of like, like sums up. When, when Josh Hawley lost his book deal <laughs> and blamed first amendment rights like like everyone has the constitutional right to get a book deal uh, <laughs> right and uh. somebody joked somebody joked uh oh holly lost his book deal at least the book would have had a spine <laughs> and i thought that was like a really good zinger um but yeah they're yeah. all they're all very sad and very upset now and and uh yeah and the list of things that trump's been banned from i know Pornhub came out this morning and said <laughs> We've been. Was drunk. that real? I thought there yeah. was a joke. It's it still, I mean, not not like he had oh an active Pornhub account, thank God. But you know, right. Um, and uh, Stephen Colbert said, I think it was Stephen Colbert said, um, you know, Trump was banned on Twitter. Okay, next uh, next up, uh, Grubhub or something yeah. like that. <laughs> he lost his Yelp review status or. <laughs> well, listen. Um, thank you for doing this. This has been a dream, honestly. Um, maybe a part two when everything like settles down a little bit. I would love to talk to you again about, you know, where we are, say in March or whatever. Yeah. You know, hundred um, percent. Thank you for being here and stay safe. Stay indoors if you can, everybody out there. Um, and we'll talk again soon. Thank you, Allison. You're welcome. And check it out because on January, oh, yes, 20th, yes. on January 20th, Andrew Torres of Opening Arguments and myself are starting a new show about Biden's Department of Justice and, and how clean up on aisle 45. <laughs> clean up on aisle 45. I'm gonna make sure that we hold them accountable, hold this new administration accountable to holding those who the in the Trump crimes and that's genius. Can you put the link on on that on that Google Doc so I can or is it not out yet? It's not out yet. It doesn't drop okay. until the 20th. We do have a Patreon, which is uh, patreon.com slash aisle 45 pod, A-I-S-L-E 45 P-O-D. Okay. And uh, you can uh, sign up and, you know, we'll get going on on Inauguration Day, our first our first one drops. And it's going to be all about Merrick Garland and, and what the expectations are. We're going to set the baseline and, and go from there. And hopefully 
see if we can't rebuild the nation's faith in the Department of Justice and the intelligence. Mm. That actually seems like the most important thing at this point. So, mm. all right, one more thing. Uh, you said Patreon is IO45 pod or cleanup is, is mentioned. Uh, IO45 pod, A-I-S-L-E 45 P-O-D. Okay, okay, great. Thank you. We'll Thank talk you. again soon. It was good to see you. It was great to Don't, see you. You too. Don't go away. Okay. Way Off the Record has been written, produced, and edited by Scott Ambrosino and Christian Hernandez. Our music is by the amazing Marie Tree. We are available wherever you get your podcasts. And reach out to us on social media. We can be reached at the at sign W-O-T-R pod on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. 